0: The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast are presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code SGP. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code SGP. We're also brought to you by GameTime. Snag the tickets without the stress. Use promo code CFBX on your first purchase. Save $20. Download the GameTime app and use promo code CFBX. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Play the underdog pick'em in college or NFL and win up to 20 times your money in one game. Use promo code SGPN at Underdog Fantasy for 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Finally, we're brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here in the Sports Game Podcast. It is currently Wednesday evening, September 20th. And I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Good to be back. Haven't been on a show for about a week or so because we had a gap period in the ATP level as we ended up seeing the U.S. Open final. Did a recap episode for that as Djokovic beat Medvedev in the final. And then we had about 10 days off waiting for the next group of ATP events to start up again. And here we are. So we have two events taking place in China. We have the Shandu Open, and we also have the uh, Zhuhai Championships. So go looking forward to going through those two events. But before we get into any of that, do want to briefly talk about some news that happened in tennis over the last couple of days, mostly involving quotes. You had a quote from Serena after the Halep suspension for steroids came down, and Serena kind of threw some shade at her for beating Serena in the Wimbledon final a couple of years ago. Did you need to say it? Not really. But Serena has been, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say known to be petty, but she's not afraid of stepping on a few toes to make a point in the past. And she did in this case. Do I care? Not really. I'm not going to talk about it. But once again, that was one piece of news that was going around. A lot of people being annoyed at Serena for being relatively classless. Once again, I'm not taking a stand either way. But the point is that it was one piece of news that happened over the past week. The other quote that was worth talking about was Nadal because Nadal Nadal did an interview talking about Djokovic and how Djokovic seemed to care more about the actual records than he did. But at the end of the day, who cares? Like I don't. I don't people were getting really annoyed in Nadal for that because he sounded like a sore loser. I don't really care either way. I feel like, once again, it's common knowledge that Djokovic at this point is the greatest tennis player of all time. I don't think it's close. I think he's clearly number one. I think most people agree, but anyone who counters is either a massive Nadal fan or a massive Federer fan, and they're probably not going to change their minds. But if you ask the unbiased person who the best player is in the history of a sport, they would pick the person who has the best stats and the most trophies in that particular sport, and that's Djokovic. So what Nadal says, to be honest, I really don't care, but Nadal basically said Djokovic cares more about the trophies than I do, and there you go. So people thought, well, you're just saying that because you can't catch Djokovic now, so now you're going to make it sound like he cares more. Like I didn't care. It seemed like a bunch of drama that really didn't have to be there. So I don't care one way or another, but that was a piece of drama that was worth at least acknowledging because it was a pretty big deal for a couple days. That tells you how much people are actually missing live tennis because Davis Cup action, I know what's going on. It's international. I get it. US, USA didn't exactly do too well, but most tennis fans, I don't think actively follow the Davis Cup. So I didn't bother really talking about it. And for gambling lines, it was very difficult to find. So that's also why I didn't cover the event. But it tells you how much people were actually waiting to see uh, real competition back in tennis. Because a lot of people were trying to feed off of drama for about a week. Because they were waiting for more tennis to be played. But anyway, point is those two quotes happened with Nadal and Serena I don't care either way, but I wanted to bring it up. Then you had the other piece of news, which I wanted to talk about, even though this is a men's episode going through the two men's tournaments taking place in China. The key word there is China, because it was announced that the WTA is returning to China for the first time since 2020, and it is lifting its own boycott on China. Now, to get into the backstory involving the boycott, you had a Chinese double player, named Peng Shuai, who actually won a couple of Grand Slam events in doubles back in 2013 and 2014, won Wimbledon and won the French Open. Now, she was a well-known Chinese player, once again, one of the better doubles players in the world. And the problem was, she ended up having a situation, let's, let's just say, got her into some hot water with the Chinese government, particularly she was sexually assaulted allegedly by a member of the Chinese government, and she commented about it. Now, Twitter doesn't really exist in China, so it was another social media platform. I think it's exclusive to China. But anyway, she posted something regarding the sexual assault from the politician, uh, and that post was later deleted about 30 minutes later, and then she turned into a ghost. Nobody really saw her for the next two years, and she made a couple of public appearances, but nobody knows if those were on her own, I'd say, desire, or if she was forced into those by the Chinese government. The point is, she accused a former Chinese vice premier of sexual assault in 2018, and the, by the way, the platform was Weibo, and the next thing you know, she disappeared. And a lot of people started wondering where she was. There was a lot of concern about her safety and if the Chinese government punished her for potentially exposing one of the higher officials for improper conduct. And the WTA initially took her took her back and basically said, listen, we're not going to play here anymore. This is really weird. This is messed up. We're not going to have events in your country if you're going to do this to female tennis players. So they took a stand. Then it came out, uh, once again, about this past week, WTA decided, you know what? Our point has been made. We are going to return to China. Is that legitimate? Absolutely not. I'm sure they got paid a lot of money to return back to China. So a lot of people are not happy with the WTA for basically forfeiting their initial stance about Peng Shui... Peng Shuai's uh, disappearance and what is wrong with, I'd say, the actions of the Chinese government in this situation. And they chose to take the money. So I wanted to bring that up. I know that once again, nobody really knows the full details of what happened there with Peng Shui. I know a lot of people don't really talk about it either, but I thought it was worth mentioning that even though the WTA is back in China, remember the reason why they left and remember that the WTA chose the money over the actual morality of the situation. And I want everyone to remember that because I think we can all agree it's not a coincidence that one of the most well-known Chinese tennis players had an accusation about the government and then disappeared basically for about two three years. That's very, very weird. I think we all know something shady happened behind the scenes. And the WTA decided to turn their eyes and accept a nice paycheck. So I wanted to bring that up. But anyway, time to get back into the ATP. As we are going to talk about the two events taking place, and we're going to start off in no particular order, but we are going to go with chronological, uh, we're actually going to go with uh, alphabetical order. We're going to go with Chengdu first. Now, to go through the history of these events, I mentioned a second ago that both Chengdu and Zuhai have not actually had events here in about three to four years so it's been a long time so it is tough to fully find much to gather information wise on what succeeds and what fails in these events there were some matches yesterday or earlier this morning so i used that film to try to piece together what the courts were like but for the sake of the history i am going to go through the winners in the past but a reminder there is a gap because the last time it was held was 2019 so starting off with shane du 2019 you had Beating Bublik in a final, you had Tomic beating Fagnini in a final in 2018. You had Istomin beating Baghdadis in 2017, and you had Kishanov beating Ramos Vinolas in 2016. So, does that tell me anything about this event? No. Now Bublik is here, so if you want to take a guy who has made a deep run in the past, he's your option at sixteen to one. Once again, I'll get back into the outright odds in a second. I'm going to go through the quarters first, but once again, the history tells me nothing because it was a long time ago. You've had a bunch of different winners, a bunch of different finalists, and it doesn't really mean much. So I wanted to at least acknowledge it while presenting the history of the event. You're going to see the same story with Zuhai in a second, but I wanted to bring it up. In fact, the history of Zuhai is actually even less impressive than the history in Cheng, Chengdu. But anyway, uh, to get into the actual quarters here, you have Zverev as the favorite in the first quarter at minus 200. You have Kekmanovic as the second favorite at plus 350. You have Moutet, who ended up winning in the match on Wednesday morning. At seven to one, you have on at ten to one, you have Kotov at eighteen to one, and a lock at eighty to one. Simply put, I'm taking Zverev. I'm not going to spend much time uh, going through this. Zverev is the best player here by a country mile. It's not even close. Kekmanovic t- occasionally. Can be solid and hardcore, but he's kind of a head case. And I think that Zverev is the more fundamentally sound player. He's more talented. He's the pretty hefty favorite here in the overall event to win the thing. So I think, once again, it's natural for him to win the quarter as well. Give me Zverev to get the job done in the first quarter. Moving on to the second quarter, you have Dimitrov at minus 110. You have Taro Daniel, who who ended up winning uh, from a set down against Vukic in the First round, and that was also on Wednesday morning. As he ended up winning the final set six two, came back from a set down, found his groove, and was able to beat Vukic in three. But he is the second favorite here at plus two fifty. You have O'Connell at four to one. You have Varius at five fifty, and you have two unknowns who have no chance in hell of winning to close out the quarter. Dimitrov should be the favorite. We know he's had a pretty good year. He has not won anything because he's Dimitrov and he chokes every chance he can. But he has looked impressive at times. And I do think he should be the favorite to win this quarter. Now, am I only going to pick him? No, because I think, once again, Dimitrov's a head case who can easily fall apart. But to go through the path here, the one guy that I think can beat Dimitrov would actually be O'Connell. Now, Taro Daniel has a similar, I'd say, style of play to Dimitrov in the sense that they like to rally Dimitrov does have the one-handed backhand, but stylistically, they tend to keep the ball in play a lot, and O'Connell does have the one-handed backhand, but he is a lot more aggressive than Daniel and Dimitrov, in my opinion. So I do think, once again, if I had to pick one guy who could beat Dimitrov, it would be O'Connell, because O'Connell has the firepower to hit through Dimitrov, and Daniel really doesn't have that. So I do think that Dimitrov would beat Daniel, he probably would beat O'Connell, the problem is O'Connell has to beat Daniel first in order to get a shot at Dimitrov. So I'm not even sure if 4 to one's worth it for O'Connell. It's really tricky to find value, but Dimitrov really has an easy section. I mean, he has a, a buy in the first round, then probably Varius in the second round. No offense to Varius, who's once again a podcast Hall of Fame member, but he's not a great hardcore player. He's mostly a clay specialist, and I think Dimitrov would mop the floor with him. So I think I am just going to go with Dimitrov. I wanted to make a case for O'Connell at 4-1, but it's not great odds when he has to go through Daniel first. So I think I am just going to take Dimitrov at minus 110. Moving into the third quarter, you have Evans at plus 185. You have Safoulin at 2-1. You have Purcell at 550. Jordan Thompson at 550. Lahovich at 8-1. And Bergs at 12-1. I think this is probably the most open Quarter, you can argue maybe the fourth quarter, but I think it's a very, very good quarter, and there's a lot of talent here. Even Berg's at 12-1. to 1, I know he's a better clay guy, but he's still a solid player, and Lehovich, we know, can be a very solid player, too. He's had some health issues over the past couple months, but he's solid. Purcell's embraced a serve and volley approach. He's dangerous. Evans is very solid. So Fulin looked really good against Nakashima, and I think he's a solid player anyway. Unfortunately for him, he did blow the two-set-to-nothing lead against Tommy Paul in the U.S. Open, which would have been a nice signature win for him. But I like him as well, and Jordan Thompson's also no slouch, even though the best part of his year came during the grass season. So, to go through my actual picks for this section, I do want to talk about the actual draw of these players, because Purcell and Thompson are against each other in the first round, and the winner faces off against either Bergs or Lahovich. So, Purcell and Thompson, I think, is an absolute war, there's not much that, te- that tears them apart, so I really don't have much in terms of a breakdown for that match or for the outrights for either guy, because Thompson or Purcell can lose immediately, and I do think it's pretty fair that each of them have plus 550 odds, because I think it's a coin flip match. Now, you can argue that there is value on Wachowicz at 8-1, to one because he will get the scraps. Assuming he ends up beating Bergs, and I think he should. Bergs is good, but once again, he's a better clay player. Same with Lahovich, but he has proven more on hard court. He beat Sinner on hard court a couple months ago. But I think that Lahovich might have some value at 8-1, to because I know that he is a very solid player in general, and being able to potentially have a straight set win against Bergs in the first round, and then facing off against Purcell or Thompson, fresh off a three-set match, or what should be a very long match. Maybe Lahovich can catch either guy slipping and get the job done there. So I do think Lahovich has value at 8-1. to one. As for the other options here, I think Evans and Safulin, who are supposed to match up against each other in the next round as well, it is a very tricky matchup because Evans, of course, ended up winning the City Open, and he really hasn't done much since. Now, they faced off in, uh, in a hardcourt event back in 2019, Evans did win in three. Does it mean anything? Not really. Now, Evans, once again, is an annoying player to play against because he's going to slice a lot from the backhand side. He's a very fundamentally sound player, very underrated net skills, but Safulin has some firepower and a good serve. And I do think that his height at six one can definitely help out if he's able to uh, really just elongate some points and you let the overall power that he possesses overwhelm Evans in these three sets. But I think for the sake of this quarter, I really think it's probably going to be one of the two favorites. I think you're going to end up picking between Evans or Safulin. And I think for this one, I think I am going to go with Safulin. I think Safoulin is a solid overall player. I really liked what I saw against Nakashima. I know Nakashima this year is basically 11 and 19. So he has not been good. But Safoulin handled them pretty easily. And I do think that Evans, who's been a bit shaky since winning the City Open, I think is a little bit vulnerable. I will go with Safoulin to get the job done in this quarter at two to one, but I will throw in Lahovich because I do think Lahovic at eight to one has good value. So that's my two picks for the third quarter. I could throw in Evans as well, which might be the move actually, if I want to take all three, but nah, I think I'm just going to go with Safoulin and Lahovic. Now moving on to the fourth quarter, you have Musetti as the favorite at plus plus one thirty. You have Roussevori, At three to one, you have Bublik at 380. You have Girone at 750, Rinderknich at eight to one. You have uh, Borges, who doesn't have a chance at 10 to one, and a serious long shot at 100 to one, who has no chance in hell. Musetti, I'm not going to pick. Now, Musetti, I acknowledge talent wise, might be the best guy here, but I've mentioned this on several occasions. Musetti A prefers Clay. B is an underrated head case, and I do think that any time I have to rely on Musetti, who does have a pretty decent draw, which is why he's the favorite, I can't trust him on hard court. I just can't do it. So I think that when you're looking at this section here of Bublik versus Girone and Rinderknecht versus Rusevori, I think whoever gets out of that section is going to win the quarter. Now, I do think for value, I am looking at Rusevori. Finland did have a very solid Davis Cup over the past week or two, and Rusevori was in the middle of it. So I do think that Rusevori is in very solid form, and I think that overall he's a very solid player. We saw him beat Rublev leading up to the U.S. Open, then he ended up getting injured before the U.S. Open, and he could not participate. But in Davis Cup action, he was solid. He ended up beating Gojo, beat Tommy Paul... Did lose to Greek sport early on, but once again, beating Paul and Gojo are pretty solid outcomes and he is one in a lifetime against Rinderknecht. So it is going to be his first round matchup and he won comfortably. It was on clay in 2020, so I don't know if you could actually use it, but Rinderknecht has been iffy lately. He has not played since the US Open and I do think when you're looking at the rust factor for Rinderknecht, it might be present while Rusevori was busy over the past week playing some tennis against top tier competition and winning. I'm going to go with Rusevori. In this quarter at three to one, I like his overall form, and he was solid in the Davis Cup. Give me rusivori at three hundred, and I think I am. Am I going to go with Bublik? Like, do I really want to go with Bublik? I think Bublik should beat Giron. The last time they played, Bublik actively punted. I think it was right before. Was it right before Wimbledon, I think? I'm trying to remember when it was, but I know for a fact that Bublik basically just punted the match and you ended up seeing Giron mop the floor with him. I think there was a bagel in there. But the point is, I do think when you're looking at the motivation for both players, Bublik's always a head case, so that's going to be a problem. But it was 6-0, 6-4 on clay in Geneva. I think that was right before Wimbledon, I think. But the point is, I really don't have much uh, from that last match. But they faced off one time on hard court, and Bublik did win in three. Bublik has, once again, made the final here in 2019. I think I'll take a spin at plus 380. Give me Rusevori at plus 300, and give me Bublik at plus 380 as my two picks to win the quarter. So once again, my quarter picks here. Zverev to win the first quarter at minus 200. Dimitrov to win the second quarter at minus 110. I'm going to go with Safouin at plus 200, and Wahobich at plus 800 to win the third quarter. And the fourth quarter will be Bublik at plus 380, and Rusevori at plus 300. Moving on to the actual outrights to win the entire tournament, I think Zverev's probably going to win it. So plus 160, I'm going to have to take. He's the best player here by far. I really just can't make a case for anybody to seriously compete with him. But I'm going to try. I'm not taking Dimitrov. I'm not taking Musetti. So I think that Zverev once again should have a very good run here. Uh besides that, Saful so in a 10 to 1. I think I am going to take a 10 to 1. I like his overall form. He's very, very talented. And I think that he's got a shot to do it. And I think I am going to go with Rusevori as well at 12 to 1. I'm going to go with players that I know have the overall talent to actually get the job done. And I do think those guys have the talent. Lachovic, I think, can win a quarter, but I don't think he's winning this event, so I'm not going to take Lachovic at 40-1. to I think that, once again, his ceiling is capped, but he's good enough to get through some compromised players potentially in that quarter, which is where I will draw the line of distinction. But once again, my three picks for this event are going to be Zverev at plus 160 as my main play. And a sprinkle here and a sprinkle there on Saful and 10 to 1, and Rusavori at 12 to 1. Now, moving on to the next tournament, we got to talk about the other ATP event taking place, which is going to be taking place in Zuhai. And for this overall tournament, you have much more open odds to actually win the event. I'll get into those in a second. But moving into the actual history of Zuhai, it's been played a total of one time, and Dimmenauer ended up winning against Manorino. So for the most part, from what I saw from the matches earlier this morning, this does seem to be an event that tends to gravitate more towards good rallyers. And that's why Dimenauer was able to win and why you ended up seeing Manorino make the final, but it does seem like good rallyers and serve. I don't want to say serving is irrelevant, but it does seem like the serve gets a bit neutralized by the overall, I'd say consistency of some other players. And we saw in the matches on Wednesday morning that Harris beat Vesely. Both guys are pretty good servers, but Vesely's out of shape and Harris is solid. So that wasn't really a threat for him. Uh, Nishioka ended up losing the first set 6-0 and then came back and won. And you had a pretty fun match there at the end between two relative unknowns as the Czech player won a 6-4, 6-3. I'm going to butcher that name. So I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce it. But I do think when you're looking at the overall field, it should be pretty fun. Now for the first quarter, Kashanov is the favorite at plus 125. You have McDonald at 3 to 1, you have Schwartzman at 5 to 1, you have Kovacevic at 7 to 1, and you have Shang, underrated player there at 8 to 1, and a couple other long shots who have no chance. Now, Kashanov, I understand based on reputation should be the favorite and he has a bye. However, you might remember I faded him in the first round of the US Open on this podcast against Mo because he had not played since the French Open, and he has played, once again, one match since the French Open, which was him losing to Mamo in straight sets in the U.S. Open. So I don't trust Kashanov because I don't know what form he's in. I haven't seen him play on a hard court since the Australian Open. So I don't have anything to actually go th- to go in favor of Kashanov. There's too many question marks, so I'm not going to pick him. I think that he can win the quarter. We know, once again, how talented he is. I need a bigger sample size. He has not played enough matches. I question his stamina long-term. I'm not going to go with Kashanov at plus 125. I am going to take McDonald at 3-1. I think McDonald's a solid player. You might remember earlier this year, I may or may not have said, I thought he had a shot to win an event this year. He's fallen short. He's made a couple of decent runs, but I do think this path is actually not bad for him. And to go through his path here, uh, you have a matchup against Shang in the first round, which is not easy. I will concede that. McDonald is favored in that match, but Shang is no slouch, so keep an keep an eye out for Shang, and Shang is also going to have a crowd advantage here, so I have to at least bring that up because it is going to be in China. So McDonald might be in a tricky spot, but I do think he's the better player than Shang in this matchup. Kovacevic, I'm not worried about. He should be Copahans, but I do think, once again, he's a little bit too volatile for me, and I think that Shang or McDonald should be able to beat uh Kovasevich into the next round. And I think I just blindly am going to fade Kashanov. He should beat Bolt or Schwartzman. There's no chance I'm taking Schwartzman. It's well documented. I think he's been washed for about a year. But I do think my two picks for this quarter, I'm actually going to lose one immediately. I think I am going to go with McDonald at three to one, and I think I am going to go with Shang at eight to one. I'm going to fade the guy who's barely played singles in the last couple of months and I think you're getting good prices. So give me McDonald and Shang in the first quarter. For the second quarter, you have Corda at minus 140. You have Echeverry at plus 500. You have Hichikata at plus 550. And to be honest, I think we have three other guys who have no chance in hell at winning this section. Now for Corda, he's minus 140. And I think that it is warranted because he is a good hardcore player compared to the rest of the field. Having said that, Corda is a head case, and you never know when he's going to implode. So that is the dangerous part of it. I do think Corda should beat Hichikata or Moore. So I do think Corda's going to win the quarter, but I really don't like having money on this guy because he's a head case. Now Echeverry should be his opponent in the semi in the quarterfinal, because I do think even though the unknown Czech player winning, against a Chinese wild card in the first round was a pretty good performance by him. It was only his second ever ATP win. So I do think Echeverry, who actually gave Waranka a tough match for the first three sets in the U.S. Open, I think he's a pretty, I don't want to say underrated hardcore player, but I think he's in a different level than the unknown guy who might take some time to adjust to ATP life. I think you're going to see chalk here. I'm going to go with Corda against Echeveri in the quarterfinal and I think Etcheverry at 5-1 to one is probably a decent price. Korda's probably going to win, but I am going to take both guys. I think that Korda could lose to Hitchikata maybe, but Hitchikata made a decent run in the U.S. Open because he was the beneficiary of some good scheduling spots where his opponents were constantly involved in five-setters, and you ended up seeing him take advantage of very weak opponents in the following round. I believe it was Zhang... And it was Fuksovics who both went to five sets the round prior. Hichikado was able to beat up on them since they were very tired. And then he got buried by Tiafo, I believe, in straight sets the round after. But I do think, once again, I'm going to go with Korda and Echeverry as my two picks in the second quarter. For the third quarter, you have the return of Stroof, And he's being joined by Lloyd Harris, Nishioka, Green, and an unknown player is 100-1. to So... Uh, you know I like Struff. You know I'm a fan of Struff, but he has not played in a while. And you might remember that Struff missed a lot of time because of injury and he actually couldn't even play in Wimbledon, which was very unfortunate because we expected him to make a deep run in the event because he was actually playing very well. And you were you saw that he was actually in the finals of an event taking place in Germany on grass and he lost in a third set tiebreak to Tiafo. You might remember that we had Stroof to win that event in Stuttgart and he lost after having a match point in the third set. It was very rough. But since that point, he played in Hala, lost to Bublik in 3, and then didn't play again. So he has not played since June. And now you have to wonder if he should be the co-favorite to win this quarter. I don't. I like Struff as a player, but I'm going to if I'm going to roast Kashanov for missing a bunch of time. Now, Gashanov did miss more time than Struff, but there's too long of a layoff there. I can't take the plus 185. I'm not going to do it. Now, Nishioka, I do think can give either player problems between Struff and Harris, but I do think Harris's serve is going to be a really big problem for Nishioka to deal with, and Nishioka wasn't good in the first round. He was fine. He ended up getting bageled and then came back, but I do think with the lack of size that Nishioka has, Lloyd Harris should really have a field day serving in this match. He might break like 20 aces. He's 2-0 lifetime against Nishioka. They played in 2022. Very competitive match. Harris won in three. And they faced off in Cincinnati in 2021. Harris won in straight sets. I think for this one, I am going to go with Harris at plus 185. I think that he is just a little bit too fundamentally sound. Now, I know that once again, you could argue that he is a makeshift serve bot, but his strokes are very compact. He's able to keep the ball in play, and his serve is a very good equalizer. And if he's against Stroof in a hypothetical matchup, I do think that Harris would have the edge, because unlike Stroof, he has not missed any time, and I really am concerned about Stroof's rust for this event. So give me Harris at plus 185, and I think that's going to be it. I thought about maybe taking Nishioka at plus 350 as well, but I think Harris will beat Nishioka, so I think I'm just going to go with Harris at plus 185. And for the fourth quarter, you have Nori as the favorite at plus 110. You have Murray at plus 160. You have Karatsev at 6-1. to one. You have Arnaldi at 8-1. to one. Pullman's at 14-1. to one. And a couple unknowns at 35-1 to one and higher. So I understand why you have a couple of players, Nori and Murray, being a lot shorter than the other players. Now, Nori has had a very bad year. So I do think I'm going to stay away from Nori here because I just don't trust him. And he can potentially get the job done, but I can't do it. It's another one of those spots where Nori is the favorite because he inherited the much easier section of the quarter because he is a bye and then a matchup against either Pullman's or Sweeney. And he faces off against the winner of either Murray, Arnaldi, or Karatsev. So he's going to let them kill each other and then get a buy into the finals. So I think Nori should be the favorite, but if I had to pick a guy that I think can be a nice Cinderella story, I think I'm going to pick Arnaldi. Now, I know that Karatsev is a very annoying player to play against on hard court. He's also a head case, but Arnaldi impressed me in the U.S. Open, and you might remember, Arnaldi buried the hell out of Nori in the U.S. Open. He won in straight sets. So the fact that Arnaldi beat Nori comfortably in a three to five set match in a a big event about a month ago tells me eight to one seems very off. And I do think that Arnaldi can beat Karatsev and Murray. And I do think that when you're looking at how this should play out, Arnaldi has a shot. And I do think at eight to one, the shot is worth it. I'm going to go with Nori at plus 110 because the draw is so good. I basically have to, he basically has to win one match. So I'll take Nori at plus 110, and I'll go with Arnaldi at 8-1 to as my two picks in the fourth quarter. So once again, to recap my quarter picks, give me McDonald at plus 300, and give me Shang at plus 800, give me... Corda at minus 140 and give me Echeverry at plus 500. For the third quarter, only give me Lloyd Harris at plus 185. And for the fourth quarter, give me Nori at plus 110 and give me Arnaldi at 8-1. to one. Now moving on to the actual winner of the event, Nori's at, my, at Nori and Corda are both at plus 450. You have Kashanov at plus 500. You have Murray at 650. And then the odds really open up. You have Stroof at 9-1. to one. Harrison, 9 to 1, McDonald at 11 to 1, and then Nishioka is at 18 to 1. And you see it balloon upwards even further from that point. Now, Nori, I understand the draw is easy. Can I look myself in the mirror and take him or Corda at plus 450? Probably not. I don't think I can do that. So I think I'm going to pass on both those guys. If I had to pick between Nori or Corda, I think I would pick Corda if I had to pick between the two of them, but I can't stand either guy. So I'm not going to pick either. Kishonov, I'm not taking I'm not taking him to win his quarter, so I'm not going to pick him to win the event. Murray, I'm not picking to win the quarter either. I know, once again, he has a pretty good draw, but I don't trust his stamina to hold up playing a bunch of matches in consecutive days. And Murray, I still don't believe, is going to win another ATP event in his career, so maybe he'll make me eat those words. But so far, about a year in, he hasn't really been close to winning an event, so I'm going to stay with that uh, belief. So I'm not going to pick Murray either. Screw! I'm not picking at nine to one because of the layoff. I am going to take Lloyd Harris at nine to one. I am going to take McDonald at eleven to one. Arnaldi, I'll take at twenty-eight to one, and I will also go with Shang at thirty-five to one. So once again, this event is going to potentially fall apart for us very, very quickly for the outrights because I have a lot of guys playing against each other. But Harris at nine to one, I really like. I think that he's got a good draw in general, and I do think that once again his serve is a great uh, weapon that a lot of guys don't have in this field. And you're looking at McDonald, who I think is a solid overall player, who's always slept on in these hardcore events. This event is just random random enough to work for him, and I do think that if he can get past Shang, he has a pretty good overall draw. Shang, I guess, is the home country guy that I'm going to go with at 35-1. to 1. I know he's very young, and you could argue that he's not ready. But I do think the crowd support will help, and 35-1 to 1 is a pretty solid deal for what I think is a very underrated future top 20 player in the world. And Arnaldi is another very young player who I really like, and he impressed me at the U.S. Open. So this is going to be my four picks. That's going to wrap it up for the outright section for both Shane Du and Zuhai. Now it's time for the Lock and dog picks. But before we continue, that can kind have of a quick word from our sponsor. We're back with another fun week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw $5 down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers take advantage of two. New offers every game day in September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code SGP. New customers can bet just $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code SGP. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. We're brought to you by GameTime. I don't know about all of you, but I personally love attending sporting events in person and it used to be very stressful trying to find the right seats for me, but that changed when I found the GameTime app because they are the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. For me, I do think my favorite part about the actual app is the Images of Seat Views feature, which lets me look at the exact view that I would be getting if I purchase a specific ticket. It used to be an issue... For me in the past where I would get a seat that I thought was going to have a great view and it turned out to be obstructed or something right in front of me. And I paid money for seats that were kind of useless because I couldn't actually see the action I was paying to see. That's no longer the case, though, with the Game Time app. They also have the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, etc. So they do have a lot of great deals to help you save some money. Game Time is also the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So you actually make money if that ends up happening. Sad tickets without the stress. With GameTime, download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account or redeem code CFBX for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Unrug Fantasy. Unrug Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite football team all season long. You win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going 5-for-5 with your picks. It's a fantasy game, but you can win real money. And there's also a great promo going on with Underdog Fantasy. $100,000 Sundays continue with the platform total of $2 million in prizes all season long. $100,000 in prizes this week. $10,000 $10,000 to 10 people this week. New sweepstakes every week of the NFL season. This week's higher or lower special deal is Tyree Kill receiving yards at 91.5. Higher or lower, even if you guess wrong, you are still entered into the random drawing with a shot to win $10,000 in cash. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little cash over underrug's mobile app or website, unrugfantasy.com. And when you sign up with promo code SGPN, Unrog will double your first deposit up to $100. So promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this NFL season. With Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every football, basketball Baseball and soccer bet with historical stats and data enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame bets revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling podcast. Just finished previewing the two ATP events taking place in China. Now it's time to get into the lock-and-all picks for the show. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a matchup in Zuhai between Seville and Echeverry, I am going to go with Echeverri to win in straight sets, and the best price is minus 144 on FanDuel. Simply put, these players are not even close to each other in terms of ranking or talent. You're looking at Seville, and he's mostly bounced around the ITF and the Challenger circuit. He did go through qualifying to get here, didn't really beat anybody of note, so that doesn't really mean much to me. Echeverri did participate briefly in the Davis Cup as he ended up helping his country beat Lithuania, and he did win on, on hardcourt, 6'2, 6'4. They faced off earlier this year, though, in Adelaide, and Echeverry buried him. He won 6-1, 6-3. So they faced off earlier this year on hardcore, and Echeverry did win in straight sets. He also looked decent in the U.S. Open, did win in the first round, then ended up losing in four to Warenka. Arguably could have won the first set as well. But the point is, I do think that Echeverry is not a great hardcore player against ATP competition. Seville is not ATP competition, so I do think that he should be able to take advantage of a weaker opponent here, and I do like the overall price. Give me Echeverry to win in straight sets at minus 144 as my lock. And for my dog, I do have a couple of choices here. The question is, what do I want to take? I could fade Schwartzman and get plus 190, which is a lot of fun to consider, especially since you ended up seeing Bolt go through qualifying. Or I could take the over- two and a half sets in the Purcell and Thompson match because both players are actually doubles partners with each other. And usually you see those singles matches go a long time because they know each other's strengths and weaknesses. I'm kind of on the fence because the plus plus one ninety against Schwartzman is very, very appealing. But I do think that that match is probably going three between Purcell and Thompson. You know what? I think I'm going to divide my dog up into two. I'll take two dogs on the show. I'm gonna go with Pol with a Bolt on the money line at plus 190 against Schwartzman. I've mentioned this several times. Schwartzman's cooked and bolt did look good in qualifying. So that's my main reason for that. And for the other one, I do think once again, when they faced off e- against each other five times in singles before, it is currently 3-2 in the head-to-head. So it is very close. And they're doubles partners. I expect to see a war. I wonder who's gonna actually win, but since I don't know based on looking at the matchup, that usually means it's going to be a coin flip, and that usually means it's going three sets. So give me the over two and a half sets in the Purcell and Thompson match at plus 130 as my dog as well. So once again, the lock for the show is going to be on Echeverry to win in straight sets at minus 144, and my two dogs for the show, first one's going to be Bolt on the money line at plus 190, and my do- and my other dog will be on Purcell and Thompson over Two and a half sets at plus 130. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll be back once again for the semifinals of these two events. Until next time, find me on Twitter, at Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of other podcasts. Find me on the NBA show, the MLB show, the NFL show, WNBA show. You get the point. Until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.